experience for me. There's a whole bunch of new things. I've never preached in this auditorium before. I've never preached from an iPad, and I've never preached with no Bible. So it's like a recipe for possible disaster. I don't know. So we'll see how it goes. You can, you can tell me how it goes. Um, I'm Nate Lim. I've been coming to this church for a little while, uh, like 17 or 18 years or something like that. Some of you may know my face from camp at Anvil um, or from my association with my beautiful, wonderful wife, Leah Lim, our kids' church coordinator. She's not here right now, so I can say all kinds of things about her and how lovely she is, and she won't be too uncomfortable. Well, Pastor Greg is away, so unfortunately for you and for me, I'm here to fill in for him. You see, they had to find someone with almost as many kids as he's got. And uh, my three are pretty close to his 10 or 12. I I don't even know anymore. Um, I suppose they should have asked Paul, you know, as someone who recently had four kids in three years, including twins. And Tara. Mostly Tara. (laughs) So the last time I preached, um, Greg told me that he was going to be away. And then he showed up 10 minutes before the service and sat in the front row and stared at me. And so I'm really glad that he's on a boat and he can't be here today. And I hope he uh, never listens to the podcast. So um, preaching on Father's Day, happy Father's Day. Uh, it's a little bit of an intimidating prospect. You know, I want a Father's Day message to come from like someone super qualified. And as far as I'm aware, I make a lot of mistakes. Still waiting for the day when someone finds out that I never took the course or passed the exam, you know, the parenting course and the parenting exam before they let you be a parent. No? There's no exam? Okay. So um, I was sitting on the steps the other day uh, at the Mitchells, at the D Group uh, Leaders Workshop, and I was having a conversation with uh, Cassie Vandermeerve about parenting. She asked me a great question. She said, what is the most surprising thing about parenting? I told her my greatest surprise was finding out just how easy it was for me to lose my temper. You see, just like everything else in life, Children are a foil. They show you who you really are. You know when you get your first job and you've been so used to your mom doing everything for you and then your boss actually expects you to clean something or lift something or work and you realize that you're actually pretty lazy? Or when you get a roommate and you realize how many weird idiosyncrasies you have, like how you never fold your laundry or how you don't like to clean the bathroom And then for those of us that are married and experience for the first time the pain of mismatched expectations, you want me to cook how often? Sorry, how much did you spend on those shoes? Uh, My expectation of physical intimacy versus, let's say, reality. (laughs) When Leah finds out I said that, she's going to kill me. Having kids has shown me how selfish I really am, how much I value my own leisure, my independence, and actually perhaps most of all, my image, how I feel their behavior makes me look. I told Cassie the most surprising thing about parenting was how I could lose my temper over nothing. I don't remember ever losing my temper before being a parent. Long ago when I was a teenager, like 20 years ago, I remember reading the love chapter. You know, love is patient. Yep. Love is kind. Yep. I'm pretty kind. Doesn't envy. Doesn't boast. It isn't proud or rude. I'm not rude. Nope. I got good manners, man. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. I felt like I had a pretty good handle on it. 
You may have seen my son Elijah, the one with the army cast on his broken arm. Amazing, precious boy, seven years old. He can't eat neatly to save his life. Somehow, most meals, he still gets food in his hair, on his lap, in his eyebrow. It drives me crazy, and all of a sudden, I find myself yelling across the table like a crazy man. Leah's holding me back over something completely inconsequential. Not patient, not kind, shaming my son in public over his inability to eat neatly. And I find myself becoming so many of the things that I didn't want to become, that I saw in my own parents. Today's Father's Day. I have some goals. Three goals, in fact. My goals for today are, one, to talk about what it looks like for us to accept and honor our own parents, our own fathers. Number two, how to seek and know that God is our Heavenly Father. And then number three, um, to realize and own how each one of us is a father, a parent, or a leader ourselves. So if you have a Bible, open it to Matthew 7, or just follow along on the screen here. Um, let's do something just for fun. Why don't we all stand up? Let's read it together. I know it's tempting to fall asleep in here. It's kind of dark. So uh, I don't know. Maybe my, my head's in the way. But maybe you can see. Okay. You ready? Here we go. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? If he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Thanks for humoring me. Why don't you take a seat? So my father moved to Canada in 1973. He was born and raised in Indonesia, and by the time he moved here at the age of 44, he had lived through the horror of a Japanese occupation in World War II. Uh, then he developed incredible financial success, followed by devastating failure. He had married the first love of his life, only to experience her tragic rejection and then her death. He moved here to start anew. But as I only recently found a lot of this out, he also moved here to escape some painful memories. Details for my parents are kind of fuzzy. They never married. I was conceived through a contraceptive failure. Oops. And they separated shortly after I was born. When I was about one, my dad told my mom he was going home to Indonesia. He said he might never come back. After three months, he did come back. He lived in my mom's house in her basement suite. I'm not sure if he ever paid rent. It's funny, you know, as a child, I don't think I felt neglected or like I missed out. But looking back, I can see how my dad spent much of my early years as a broken man. Although my dad lived in the same house, my mom did all the parenting, all the providing, all the parenting, and all, all the disciplining. Now, my dad never abused me or in my memory did anything to intentionally harm me. He just wasn't there in so many ways. Things changed. I got older, so did he. My dad was always a philosopher. His bookshelves were covered in books on evolution, various religions and philosophies. As I got older, we had a lot more to talk about. And up to last year, several times a week, 
when I'd be driving in for work at 11 p.m. or coming home after midnight, I'd call my dad. Nathan, what are you doing calling me at this time? Dad, what are you doing up at that time? You're always up. Yes, so? <laughs> but, you know, we would talk about the day's news events or a book he had been reading or something interesting I'd seen at work, pumping blood or some other awesome thing, something stuck where it shouldn't be, etc. My dad was an incredible person. He was a lifelong learner. He spoke seven languages and had traveled the world. And I miss his wisdom, forged in tragedy and so much reading. I'm blessed to say that my relationship with my dad was at its best in the months and years just before he died. And he died on Good Friday last year. So this is my second Father's Day with no dad. You see, I've had it all. I grew up with an absent dad. As an adult, I had an amazing dad, the best dad, and now I have no dad. I know there are many of you listening for which today is filled with mixed emotions, if onlys, I wishes. Perhaps your experience of your father was ever only abusive, or perhaps you've never met your dad, or perhaps like most of us, your experience of your dad has highs and lows. The Bible is full of imperfect fathers, people like Jacob, who played favorites with his children so much that the older ones sold their younger brother into slavery. People like Abraham, whom we regard as a father of our faith. He abandoned his oldest child, Ishmael, born of a slave woman, to the desert. And later, he had six sons from a concubine, and he sent them away from Isaac with no share in his inheritance at all. People like David, you know, a man after God's own heart. If you read his story, you'll find his sons diving headlong into all kinds of trouble, spanning from rape to murdering their brothers to outright rebellion. And it says that David never rebuked his son by asking, why do you behave as you do? All of these men, whom in many other respects we regard as quote-unquote heroes of the faith, were unable to raise their children well. And I certainly know that we, especially I, am no better than they. But what does it say? Everybody read with this with me. You don't have to stand this time. Ready? Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Honor your father and mother so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Okay, Bible trivia, bonus points, my eternal love and respect. Can anyone tell me which number of the commandments that is? Brent, start. Eternal love and gratitude. Well done. Well done. Number six. Um, this is Paul's quote in Ephesians of the sixth command, which is uh, in Exodus actually written in Hebrew. I got a little dorky. I like to do that sometimes. And I looked up the original word um, for honor, and it is kabod. I don't know how to pronounce that. Um, I found the definition for the word to be quite helpful and funny, especially in regards to my own parents. Here it is. So kabod means... To be heavy, be weighty, be grievous... Be hard, be rich, be honorable, be glorious, be burdensome, and be honored. Isn't that interesting? So that's the way this word is translated in the Bible many times. Heavy, weighty, grievous, hard, rich, 
honorable, glorious, burdensome, and honored. My dad was pretty heavy, and at times burdensome, and I know my mom can be hard and mildly grievous, but in all seriousness, to honor your parents means to ascribe, to give them weight, honor, and glory. To honor your parents means to ascribe or to give them weight, honor, and glory. For me, it means to acknowledge that in their brokenness, my parents did the best they could have for me with their knowledge, experience, and capacity that they had at that time. My dad's life was full of ups and downs. He had started and owned his own real estate company in the 70s. It folded in the 80s, and after that, he financially survived, but wasn't really able to contribute much to me or my mom. In addition to that, he was in a terrible car accident in 85 when I was only four. He was in a hospital for a month and then in a cast for um, the better part of six months. He walked with a limp for the rest of his life. He never taught me how to throw a ball or play soccer or even swim. But some of my fondest memories of my childhood were of him driving me out to Steveson and eating fish and chips at Pedro's on the dock or sitting at a park bench at Stanley Park. What he could not do financially or physically, he did with time spent with me, with his heart. I am convinced that no one strikes out to ruin their own lives on purpose. No parent endeavors to destroy or neglect their child or make their lives miserable on purpose. I think everyone does what they think is best, given the options available at that time. But so, so often, what we think is best is clearly not. God calls you to honor your father and mother, irrespective of whether or not you feel they are worthy of that respect. God calls you to honor your father and mother, regardless of whether you feel they deserve it or not. What does that mean to me? To honor my parents as Jesus commands is to love them as yourself. Why should you do this? Why? If for nothing else than purely for selfish reasons, that it may go well for you. Paul says that this is the first command with a promise. Ask yourself, what benefit do you get from denigrating or bad-mouthing your parents? How does that help you? When you curse your parents, you curse your history, and you allow yourself to be a victim of their failures. How does that help you? Sometimes I find myself complaining about or telling somewhat insulting but always funny stories about my own parents. And I think about what my kids are going to say about me in 30 years. I probably know better than all of you that my parenting, in fact, my entire life is full of failings. Actually, Leah knows them best and is usually quite happy to point them out. Sometimes helpful, sometimes not so well received. I am selfish. I am petty. I often stand on the rules that I've made for no reason and without humility. But I also know that I dearly love each one of my children, and I will give all I am to them and for them. To honor your parents is to be truthful without spite, to see them as God sees them, as people in need of restoration and salvation. I'm going to say that again. To honor your parents is to be truthful without spite, 
to see them as God sees them, as people in need of restoration and salvation. You don't have to tell untruths about your parents to make them more than they are. Honoring your parents is not saying something about them that they are not. It doesn't mean concealing their abuses or inflating their successes, but it does mean that you can face the truth about them without hatred, without anger, and with forgiveness. It means that you can see them as you see yourself in need of God's restoration and salvation. My dad was absent in my childhood, not because he hated me, but because he was depressed. And when after a decade, he was able to slowly climb out of that depression, he was a wonderful and present and loving father, the best father I could have imagined for me. I hope in 30 years, my children can look at me in truth and without spite. I hope that they can see that despite how I lost my temper or was moderately dictatorial, that I parented out of a deep love for them. I hope that they would see me as God sees me, a broken uh, person created by him, for him, and continually in need of restoration and salvation. So that brings me to my second goal, to seek out and know that God is your heavenly father. I was going over my thoughts on this sermon with Pastor Greg the other day, and he said something that really helped me. He said, it, it sounds so much um, like what you're talking about has to do with identity rather than behavior. Identity rather than behavior. I don't know if that was a very good Pastor Greg impression. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> identity rather than behavior. It, so many, in fact, I venture to say that all of our struggles have to do with our misconceptions of who we are rather than what we do. All of our struggles have to do with our misconception of who we are rather than the things that we do. So let's, uh, read, some more. let's read some more Bible. Let's see if we can get there. Okay, um, I won't make you read along with me because there's a couple, couple bigger pack passages here. So 1 John 3, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. See what great love the Father has lavished on each one of you, on me, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. And again, in uh, Romans, Paul writes this. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you received, not are going to receive if you're perfect, you received it. It's already done. It has happened. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. How many people think that Christianity is slavery and fear? It's not true. It's not true at all. The spirit that we have received does not make us slaves so that we live in fear. Rather, the spirit that we received brought about our adoption to sonship. This word is the legal status of someone that is not a physical family member adopted into a family to become an heir, a legal heir. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. What does it mean to be an heir? It means that you get the inheritance. It means that you get everything that God has. You are an heir of God and a co-heir with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. 
Elijah is my son. Eliana and Adeline are my daughters. Nothing they or I can do will change that. Forever. No matter how I try to ruin it, nothing they say or do now or in their teenage years will change the fact that I am their father and that half of their genetic makeup came from me. Behold what manner of love the Father has lavished on you, that you can be called children of God, for that is what you are. What would be different in your life if you recognized, not just in a distant, abstract sense, but in a moment-by-moment reality, that you are children of God? What would be different if you realized every moment that you are a child of God? How secure are you when you realize that you're God's daughter, God's son? And how significant are you when you realize that you are an heir of God and a co-heir of Christ? Think about all the things that you've done in your life for the purpose of being loved. All the struggle and anguish to feel a sense of acceptance. I know that I've likely spent like years of my life trying to get people to like me, my parents, my teachers, my friends, the ladies. I somehow tricked one lady into loving me. Yes! That was God's will. God's will. His grace. What if you, what what if I truly knew that we have a heavenly father that loves us unconditionally? You know, I I have spent so much time trying to uh, fill my life with acceptance. But what if I really knew, what if you really knew that he has adopted us as his own children and given us a place next to his own son? My children don't have to do anything to earn being my children. They get all the benefits of that without behaving at all. They get a house, food, story time, cuddles, vacations, etc. On the other hand, being a limb also means that certain things are expected. Pee in the toilet, wash your hands, don't hit each other, share your toys, and treat each other with love and respect from the heart. My children don't have to behave to become my children. They already are my children. And because they are, I expect that they will behave. Once you have asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, you can do nothing more to become his child. You can't earn it. His love for you is unconditional. On the other hand, however, the expectation is that we be transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. Our journey is to become more of who we already are. The mystery of Christianity is the now and what is to come. Jesus said, repent, for the kingdom has come near. In the NASB, it says that the kingdom is at hand. You can touch it, but you can't quite get a hold of it. You can't fully grab it. It's now and yet to be. So right now, you are a child of God, and yet there is more sonship, more daughtership of the king to be realized. Right now, each one of you reflects him because you are made in his image, the wonder and beauty and tenderness and strength that is in each one of you reflects his glory. But you know, as well as I, that each one of us has parts inside of us that have yet to be transformed. Yet to be transformed, as Paul says, into his likeness with ever-increasing glory. Accepting that you are God's son, 
God's daughter necessarily means that you accept the authority he has put on each one of you. I just listened to Pastor Greg's sermon on Titus last night. I was driving to work. I skipped church last week to go to a work party. His sermon was pretty awesome. It was a retirement party for, like, this head nurse that, like, was like my mom, so I had to go. So I had a legitimate reason, okay? Like, seriously. So um, his sermon was awesome, though. He said that many of us in Western society have a fear of authority. Why? Because of abuse. But he said that to move forward, we need to figure out how to resist the power of temptation, the authority of temptation, use and accept our own power and authority, and submit to God's power. All of you have influence, whether you like it or not. And you have tremendous power to change the people around you. Being a child of God means that you have authority. Authority that Paul says that the Lord gave you for building you up. Building people up, not tearing people down. What kind of power do you have? And what have you used your power for? I remember one time when I was a teenager, I got in trouble for not cleaning up after dinner. It wasn't like this was the first time. My mom was routinely frustrated by my messiness. And I think this one time was like her breaking point. She burst out and she told me that if I stayed that way, no one would ever want to marry me. And if anyone did, that maybe they would leave me. Man, I carried that for years. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> I carried that for years. My greatest fear in all of life has been rejection. And probably the hardest thing I have ever worked at is trying to get people to like me because of my insecurity. Like I was saying earlier, I've worked for years of my life trying to get people to like me. Like me, you know? All the things that you try to do. My mom had tremendous power. And in a moment of weakness, planted a seed in my heart that grew into a monstrous insecurity. Of course my mom didn't mean that. And likely I would, you know, be this insecure anyways. And of course she was doing her best to steer me toward a life of responsibility and away from laziness. There is no way I would ever believe that my mom would want to create that kind of rift between us, that wound in my heart. I have the same power in my house. In fact, more power, three times more power, because I have three children, she had one. I can ruin three lives if I want to. I've had to apologize to my children many times for saying things I didn't mean. I remember one time we're struggling to get out the door, shoes and jackets on, everyone's yelling at each other, grabbing stuff, and Eliana, who spends like hours a week in dance lessons, hours, she's tap dancing. The sound, the wall of sound is killing me. I said, for the love, would you stop tapping? It's driving me crazy. I wish I'd never put you in tap dancing. As soon as it came out, everyone's quiet. Everyone, Eliana collapses in a flood of tears. I get like the worst stink eye from Leah I think maybe I've ever gotten. And I'm just like buried in a wall of guilt. I've said things to Elijah that I'm too embarrassed to repeat. Every one of you in this room has power over your friends, your family, 
your colleagues, and your children. You have authority, and you cannot get around it. You could try to run from it. You could try to abdicate. You can ignore it. You can even use it at the expense of others for your own selfish gain. But again, the lifelong question, the underlying question, the thing that I want you to get from this talk is, who are you? Are you master of your own ship? Are you the most important person in your life? Or are you a son or a daughter of the king? I speak to you as a friend, a brother, a father. If you have not entered into a relationship with our Heavenly Father, you can do that today. You can join me in a minute as we pray. And you can know what it means to be a son or daughter of the one who has authority over all the earth. For those of us who have accepted Jesus as our Lord, not just our Savior, I speak to you and say that you are a son, you are a daughter of a perfect father that has never sinned, that will always fight for you, and that has given each one of you power and authority to speak into and affect change in the lives of the people around you. I speak especially to you fathers today. You are to be celebrated. We have a terrifying responsibility. And I know that in our weaknesses, God's strength will be made perfect. Worship team, why don't you guys uh, make your way up? None of us has had perfect parents. And none of us are perfect. There is only one who is perfect and is the perfect father, the goal of our faith. So I encourage you today, this Father's Day, to honor your father and your mother. Why? So that it can go well with you in the land we live in. Number two, I want you to seek out and to truly know in your heart of hearts, every day, struggle towards realizing that you are God's son and that you are God's daughter and to live a life worthy of that title. I urge you to recognize and accept your God-given authority and to use it to build others up, not to tear them down. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. If you then, if I then, though we are evil, know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more will our Father heaven give good gifts to those who ask him why don't you stand up and we'll pray together God if your presence is not here today then there's no use in any words coming out of my mouth you are here to show us what it looks like for you to be our Heavenly Father. And you are here to show each one of these people here, myself included, that I am a son, that we are sons, that we are daughters of a Heavenly King who is perfect and who loves us and who can make up for all of the brokenness in our own lives, all of the missing pieces, the things that our parents didn't, couldn't, wouldn't give us. You can fill those things in our 
I pray for each one here that we can forgive our parents and that we can truly honor them. I pray for all of the brokenness and abuse in this room. I pray your healing hand. You say that you know our sorrow, you know our grief, you know our suffering and that you take it in hand. You hold in your hand all of the suffering and grief that anyone in this room has ever experienced. You see it, it is so close to you. I pray, God, that you would allow us to leave our sorrows in your hands and not to hold on to those things and to be able to honor our parents and to see them as you see them in need of restoration. I pray that you would help us to understand how secure we are and how significant we are as your children. I pray that we would be transformed into your likeness with ever-increasing glory. I pray also that we would know how to receive your authority, how to not abuse it, but also how not to run from it, how to take it and use it for your kingdom and not for selfish reasons and not to be ashamed of the power that you have given us. Oh God, I pray that each one here would be able to take on your mantle of authority and use it um, to build your kingdom. And finally, for those here that have never uh, met you, for those that have never uh, entered into relationship, I pray, God, that they would join me and saying, God, we are sorry for our sins. We are sorry for the things that we have done wrong. And we admit that we need your rescue. And I pray that you would enter our hearts and allow us to walk with you, save us from ourselves, and we say that you are our Lord and Savior. We're going to have communion in a little bit here. Jones is going to lead us into worship and communion. Um, but if you are unforgiving towards your parents, if you are struggling with honoring your parents and you want to repent, then come forward and take communion and let that be a symbol of your repentance and your decision to honor your parents. If um, you are insecure and insignificant because you do not know God is your heavenly Father. Come forward, take communion, and let that be a statement saying, God, you have everything that I need. I lack nothing because I am in you. And finally, if you um, have not used your authority for good, if you have abused your authority, and if you've been running away from your authority, um, and you want to pursue God and uh, walk humbly in submission to him um, but to take on that authority and build his kingdom uh, again I want you to come forward and take communion